Uh, listening to Booze, Bullshit, and True Crime. I'm Bree. I'm Wade. And we're going to talk about some gnarly shit. Some gnar-gnar. So this episode is kind of like when you're playing Uno, and then you get the wild card, and you can do like whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Basically, I had a story I really wanted to do, and I couldn't fit it into a category. And I binge-watched a <gasps> Netflix show, and I really wanted to do a story about what the Netflix show was about. Ooh. So I kind Relevant. of, yeah, so I kind of based my story off of that. Okay. We went backpacking. It's pretty fun. I'm too old to sleep on the ground. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it really does. I'm limping around all over the place. But we are still in quarantine. Nothing's really happening. Uh, I still have that business page up that me and my friend are getting started, our pocket theory. It's witchofthewoods.apocathery on Instagram. You can follow me on my Instagram too, which is at the Lady Lioness. Um, and I post my stuff on there as well, so give us a follow. And then of course we have our business Instagram and Facebook for Booze, Bullshit, and True Crime. And our Gmail is boozebsandtruecrime at gmail.com. Done! Sweet, talk about our case. Okay, so <clears throat> the one I did, let me get back to the first page because I finished my notes and left it on the last one. Mine isn't on any true crime or, like, murder, per se, but it's still really fucking interesting. It is about Christopher McCandless and bus number 142. Nice. My story is kind of similar to his, in a sense. So you know about him? Well, yeah. Okay. So, it's a wild card episode, like we said, and I'm going to change it up. Most people know this story, even if you don't recognize the name. There was a book and a movie made about it, um, and it was based around a tragic death. Trust me, guys, this story is super interesting. Um, Mr. Christopher McCandless was born in El Segundo, which, do you know how that is? California? No, I have no idea. Somewhere in Cali, on February 12th, 1968, and was the eldest of two children, so he had a little sister. In 1976, McCandless' father found work as an antenna specialist for NASA. Huh. So imagine being like, I got a fancy job for NASA, and everybody's like, ooh, what do you do? And you're like, I specialize in antennas. Niche. That's all I gotta say. Niche? What is it? Niche. No, is niche right, too? It's niche, yeah. I don't you know. found the niche. I'm too tired for this shit right now. Okay. <laughs> um, so... NASA, antenna specialist, yada yada. Because Christopher's father got this new job, the family relocated to Annandale, Virginia, from California. His mother was a secretary for Hughes Aircraft during this time, and eventually Chris's parents were able to have a successful consulting business together based off of his dad's antenna specialistness. Yeah. Chris graduated from Woodson High in Fairfax, Virginia in 1986. He was a super smart kid. He excelled in academics, but he was definitely a free spirit. Many of his fellow students and teachers alike describe Chris as someone who marched to the beat of his own drummer. Which he did. Nice. Nice. Weird slash fun fact. 
Christopher was the coach of the cross country team in high school. Okay. And when he was, or not, would it be team leader, whatever the fuck, not coach, but captain. Captain. Team yeah. captain. Obviously, I didn't do sports. Mm. I sat alone in the art room. <laughs> yeah. From that statement, made sense. Yeah. I didn't do sports. <laughs> <laughs> didn't play sports. I didn't do the thing. Didn't do the thing. I didn't participate in those. Your mouth is so far off the microphone. Your little voice line. Oh, my little voice line. Okay, they're big now. <laughs> <laughs> There's no meat. Yeah. Oh, my God. So he was the captain of the cross-country team. And he compared running to a spiritual exercise to his teammates. He would tell them that they were running against the forces of darkness, all the evil in the world, and all the hatred. Okay. He's a big fat hippie. Sounds like I was going to say. <laughs> Needless to say, this guy was a character. <coughs> Fast forward to me. You got the Rona! Uh-uh. <laughs> I got the stoner. Me too. Oh, it's 420. Mm-hmm. Happy 420, guys. We already did cannabis crimes, so sorry. I'm going to continue. Fast forward to May of 1990. Chris graduated with a double, ab- double bachelor's degree from... Why can't I talk? I don't know. Double bachelor's degree from Emory University. That was fancy, really fancy. <laughs> he was ma- he the coach of the soccer team there? He was the captain of the entire college. <laughs> he was the captain of all the students. He was. Nice. Yep. Um, he majored in history and anthropology, which, do you know what anthropology is? This is not the study of societies. I could be completely wrong. Oh, that's anatomy. Oh, man. <laughs> so I'm not as dumb as you. That's good. I mean, I got schooled by a fucking eight-year-old the other day for uh, a history question. Oh, yeah. Me and dates. Yeah. I got World War One, and World War Two, like, completely mixed up, so we won't go there. <laughs> yeah. Eight-year-old hey. eight year walked away from me laughing. I don't Eating know. his otter pop while it rained outside. I Ooh. felt very... Very defeated. That sounds bomb. It looked really good. I can't remember anything from history, but like grammar and English I remembered and how to spell shit. All right, we're getting off course here. We really are. Okay. Captain of the entire college. <laughs> um, <laughs> this guy in the beginning of this story is what I've always aspired to be. He was young and he was free and he had no ties. He graduated college and actually donated all of the money that he saved working during college um, to Oxfam. Oxfam is a confederation of 19 independent charitable organizations focusing on alleviated glo- alleviating global poverty. So he took all of his money that he saved and he's about to like start his life and just donated it to that great organization. When most people graduate college, they think about really settling down and starting their adult life. Chris said, fuck it. He you know, gave away all his money and he became a vagabond of sorts. He only worked odd jobs when necessary, sometimes being a line cook, other times being a ranch hand. Uh, Chris was also an avid outdoorsman. Outside was where Chris really loved to be. In his young adult life after college, he had completed several lengthy hiking trips and even paddled part of the Colorado River via canoe. By the end of 1990, Chris and his dad's son <laughs> had traveled through Cali, Arizona, and South Dakota, where he had landed. Heck yeah. He got an odd job out there. At some point, a flash flood had fucked up his truck, 
And instead of taking it to a mechanic, getting it fixed, whatever, Chris just grabbed all of his shit out of it, took the license plates off, and walked away. Continued on foot. Fun fact. When his Datsun was recovered, it was repaired and put into service as an undercover vehicle for the local police department in South Dakota. (laughs) (laughs) They do that? Evidently. In South Dakota, they do. In April 1992, the wind blew in a new direction for Chris. This time it blew in the direction of Fairbanks, Alaska. In true vagabond fashion, he hitchhiked there, seeking the untamed wilderness that Alaska has to offer. The last person to interact with Chris before his unfortunate demise was a local Fairbanks electrician named Jim Gallion, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Gallion had given Chris a ride to the Stampede Trail in Fairbanks, which is a hiking trail. Gallion tried to convince Christopher to delay this trip due to the light pack he was carrying and minimal gear that he had on him. Uh, The electrician felt that it was unsafe and he had serious doubts of Chris's ability to survive in the harsh and unforgiving Alaskan bush. Valid. Valid. Fucking valid. Gallian even offered to take a detour to Anchorage so Chris could buy some more suitable equipment for his trip, but Chris denied that as well. So he's an awesome guy, but he's a stupid guy. Or... Ignorant, maybe, is the right word. He just didn't know what he was getting himself into. So Galleon dropped off Chris at the Stampede Trail and assumed Chris would be hiking out within days once the hunger set in. Chris set off on the trail, still covered in snow, um, and eventually stumbled upon an abandoned bus near Denali National Park. This is common practice where, you know, hunting is common. Definitely in those areas, hunting is super common. Structures are left open or buses, things like that, in case an outdoorsman needs to get out of the weather. Yeah, Yeah, if they get lost out there, if they get stuck and they can't hike out, just somewhere for them to take cover. Um, It said that Chris tried to hike further, but the bush was just too thick, so he ended up coming back to the bus and setting up camp. He began... Attempting to live off the land, his plan was just to hike out there and live. It wasn't just to take a hike. His supplies included 10 pounds of rice, a Remington semi-automatic rifle with 400 rounds, books including a local plant identification book, some personal effects, and a few pieces of camping equipment. So not much. During his stay in the wilderness, Chris journaled... I was like, what is that word? And I wrote it. Chris journaled every day. He also took some photographs, which... I'm going to show you pictures of if you haven't seen them, but you can progressively see, like, in the beginning of the trip, he takes a few pictures and he looks healthy, and, like, by the end, in the last pictures, he's so skinny and frail, you can, like, watch him deteriorate. The clues that he left with the photographs and the journaling was used to piece together what happened to Chris out there in the wilderness, because he was the only person out there. Chris hunted game and foraged for edible plants, just to show some of Chris's lack of experience, I have an example. Chris was able to successfully shoot a moose. Good job. It's a lot of fucking meat. Um, but he didn't even know how to properly preserve it, so it, like, spoiled within days, and he only ate a little bit of it. And that could have fed him for, like, weeks and weeks and weeks. For months, if it was a big full moose. Yeah. I mean, if that's, all, big, if that's all he's eating off, but still, like, that could have been a lot of fucking food. Mm-hmm. Chris's journaling documented 113 days he spent in that bus. One of these entries from July states Chris had been in the bus for a little over two months. After venturing out, though, he... Oh, wait, sorry. Skipped a line. 
<laughs> so he'd been in the bus for two months. At that point, I think he was getting, like, over it. He's in a bus. It's cold. He has nothing. He decided he was ready to head back to society. That's what I missed. Um, after venturing out, he came to the scary realization that the trail was unpassable due to the swollen Teklanika River. Sorry, guys, who live in Alaska. Um, but he had passed it when he came in, but it was two months later, different time of year. He went out to try and get out, and the river was just too big. There's no way. Chris was not equipped with a topographical map of any kind, so the only way out he knew was the way that he came in. If Chris would have been prepared with a topo map or knowledge of the area, he would have known that a quarter mile down the river, there was a hand-operated tram that could be used to easily get him across the river. But... Didn't know. Didn't know. So defeated, he returned back to the bus and he reset up his camp. He also posted an SOS note on the bus which read, Attention possible visitors. SOS, I need your help. I am injured, near death, and unable to hike out. I am all alone. This is no joke. In the name of God, please remain to save me. I am out collecting berries close by and shall return this evening. Thank you, Chris. And then it says, like, a date for August? Question mark, question mark. So he doesn't even know, like, what date it is. What date it is. Yeah. Chris's final written journal entry was dated day 107 and simply read, Beautiful Blueberries. So, he found some blueberries and ate them, and those three words were all he could get out for his journal entry. Because they slowly tapered off. Like, at first, they were, like, in detail. Yeah. Day 108 to 112, there were no journal entries. Chris only notated these days with slashes in his journal. Now it's September 6th, 1992. A group of hunters looking for shelter happened upon Chris's bus. They observed the note attached to the front of it and proceeded to enter. Instantly, they smelled something horrible, and they assumed that it was spoiled food of some sort, until they observed a lump in a sleeping bag within the bus. The hunters quickly noped the fuck out of there and didn't touch anything. Good job! And quickly radioed police. Good job! Police arrived a day later, and they discovered Chris's decomposing remains within the sleeping bag. From the scene, investigate... Oh, do you hear a little pig out there? I don't think our microphone's good enough, but our pig's angry. She wants cuddles and she wants in. Lupin! Go away! Go away. Okay, I'm going to talk through the pig grunts. Um, from the scene, investigators concluded that Chris had perished two weeks before being discovered, and he perished likely to starvation. There were some other theories that he could have eaten a seed that grew out there that had toxins that could kill you yeah put them down yeah because i think they found some in his stomach or something like that but poor guy that's the that's that's the chris of story mccandless that's the story of chris mccandless it's 420 leave me alone Ooh, okay. i sat on my feet and now they're both numb Uh-oh. i don't like that all right so i had been watching this netflix show called outer banks and it's about a kids that are a group of kids. A kids. Yeah, a group of kids that are pretty much treasure hunters or become treasure hunters just because of circumstances of one of the kids. Anyways, I just don't want to spoil it. It's a pretty good. So TV they're show. like pirates. No, they're just kids, and one of the kids' dad dies, and he was a treasure hunter, and he died because he was hunting the treasure, and he found the treasure. Like and then, Oak Island. Like the Goonies type deal. I've never seen a Goonies. 
Oh my god. Anyways, I'm going to continue my story. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not so, uh, my story, or I wanted to do my story about a treasure hunt that went bad. And I found a couple treasure hunts that went bad, but at the same time, they weren't like. They didn't impress me like the TV show impressed me. Oh my god. <laughs> but I found this one. It's uh, about Finn's treasure. And it's actually about a hidden stash of riches buried by this millionaire, like, art dealer, author dude named uh, Forrest Finn. And he buried the chest in 2010, and it's estimated to be uh, worth, like, $2 million, and it has gold coins, nuggets, like, ancient Chinese carved jade figures, and, Ooh. like, a bunch of precious gemstones, Ooh. and it's inside, like, a bronze box. Ooh. So, Finn actually launched the treasure hunt on October 25th, 2010. Wait. And it, what? So he did this? So he encouraged people to try and go find it? Like it was yeah. like a game? Oh, okay. I'm with you. Yeah. That's so cool. And um, he said that he, he was doing it pretty much to get get younger kids up off the couch and out like outdoors and doing stuff. Aww. He had no idea that the quest would take a deadly toll oh <laughs> so uh <laughs> at least four people have died looking for the gold holy shit wait he didn't although stop some authorities believe two maybe more other deaths are linked to the amateur treasure hunt several treasure hunters which they're actually like there's like big forms and like blogs and like groups they call themselves chasers okay or Finners. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> Instead of like Mariah Carey's lambs, yeah. we're like Forrest Fens Fenners. Yeah. So evidently several of these chasers, <laughs> they actually, they didn't die, but they had to be extracted from dangerous situations by search and rescue teams. Yeah. So it's been pretty fucking crazy. And Finn has been talked to. About stopping it, and has been asked to stop it, and he said that he has no desire to, and has not tried to stop it yet. Okay. As well as he said that the treasure is not buried in any sort of dangerous territory or terrain or anything That's like that. That's not the... Okay. Well, it's not the point. You're right. But at the same time, he's like, if they're dying, it's because they're doing shit that they shouldn't be fucking doing. Like, that's, that's not the point of going being a treasure hunter, like... It's if like you can't do something, get somebody that can do it. It's like geocaching, but with an actual prize and not exactly a toy yeah. dinosaur from the ninety nine century. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of cool, like the clues and how the whole like treasure hunt thing is put together. And I kind of did some research on it, but if you guys want to. I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to add my own opinions to it. Have your own fucking opinions about it. Find your own treasure. Point. It's the whole point. Exactly. So I'm kind of keeping it simple and plain. So to find the gold and jewels, the, the treasure, whatever. Nuggets. They have to follow. Yeah. The gold <laughs> nuggets. They have to follow a cryptic like set of clues, which released by Finn. It was a 24-line poem that Finn self-published in... Like, he hints at, like, the location of the chest. 
somewhere in the high country between 5,000 and 10,200 feet. And this is in like the New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, uh, Montana area finzas. Okay. So I'll read some of the lines from the poem. Fenner poetry. Yes, exactly. So, uh, that li- the f- like beginning of the poem, it goes, uh, begin it where warm water halt, and take it in the canyon down, not far, but too far to walk. Put in below the home of Brown. Okay. So he's pretty much telling you, like, follow the waterfall. When it stops, you got to go down into the canyon. Well, and you're not going to walk down into the canyon. Stop. Warm waters halt, so maybe it's where, like, seawater and fresh water. touch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is kind of when it gets a little crazy. And it's more or less like his backstory and it kind of like... The property that he owns and why he owns the properties, and this is talking about Finn. So, uh, Finn is actually a decorated U.S. Uh, pilot, and he flew in the Vietnam War. So, he, I think he flew the same time your father was flying. My grandfather. Your grandfather, sorry. Yes. Yeah, your grandfather I'm sure he did. So, uh, Finn actually settled his family in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and this was in, like, the, I'm pretty sure it was like early, mid-70s. Uh, he operated a very, very successful art gallery there. And with uh, like specialties in uh, Native American or American Indian uh, artifacts cool. that he collected at archaeology sites on his New Mexico properties. Isn't that technically illegal even if it's on your property? It's still an no. art site? No, because he's displaying it in the art gallery he's not trying to sell it he's not selling it oh, no. okay. he's just displaying it gotcha uh and this is along with a lot of his uh treasure related books that he actually he actually like published and i can't remember if it was he published several several novels but he also had like paintings that were involved with those novels or those volumes if that makes sense, of, like, his treasure-related books. Okay, Mr. Fancy Fenner. Uh, yeah. So. And you can't see me because it's a podcast, but I'm doing a little wiggle, 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 wiggle when wiggle. I say it, wiggle. So, uh, Forrest Finn, his art gallery was actually estimated to grow $6 million a year in the 80s, and according to People's Magazine, it actually was worth more than that. Damn. Yes. So, uh, some of... Some people actually call this thing like a whole big old hoax and that like, you know, he never fucking did that. There's no way there's a fucking chest out there. That's why he's not releasing it. Oh, I want to believe it. I do too. So, uh, like Finn's best friend actually vouched that he saw the chest with his own eyes and, uh, this is, he's also a Santa Fe residence and he said that Finn had shown him several times in his home vault. He has a home vault? Finn has a home vault, yeah. So, I mean, he's Look. an art collector, and he has fucking I, an archaeology site. A home site. vault. Yeah. Damn. Family vault. I just... <laughs> yeah. 
So Finn's best friend actually quoted saying that there were big gold nuggets Nugget. from Alaska the size of your fist and gold coins. There was uh, some like pre-Columbian like statues and uh, this included a little tiny frog. And this little frog and these Alaskan-sized nuggets were quoted on, like, multiple fucking... Alaskan-sized nuggets? Yeah. You mean fist-sized nuggets? Uh, sorry, fist-sized nuggets from Alaska. That's a big-ass nugget. Big nugget. How's that going to fit in the chest? <laughs> this is like a real-life version of Zelda. Yeah. You're running it's, around yeah. looking for the chest, and you find it and open it, and it's like, oh, and all the gold coins and rupees are in there. <laughs> and so in 2010, uh, Finn's best friend said that Finn told him he had actually hit in the chest. And Finn's best friend said that he's known Forrest for over 30 years, and there's absolutely no way that it's a hoax. It's not his, like, personality to do a hoax, and that he guaranteed he really did hide that box out there in the, somewhere. Okay. It was pretty interesting so i'm gonna talk about yellowstone because this is my kind of theory in a sense oh well so everybody everybody talks about yellowstone and it being a very big like hot spot and a lot of people say that it's a big hot spot because if you do research on Finn and like read his like biology or biology, his bio biograph. Boy, God damn it! What the biography. Fuck? Thank you. God damn it. Biography. <laughs> he talks about visiting Yellowstone a lot. A okay. Lot. All right. And uh, there's oh, been and a, there's geysers there too, which is hot water. I don't know. It, you're absolutely correct. We that, have to do it. That's <laughs> kind of why I was thinking about. It. Anyways, um, so uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people that go out to Yellowstone to try and find Finn's treasure. Enough so to where <laughs> there's actually foresters out there that are seeking treasure hunters to stop them from going to the glaciers and getting into all these dangerous territories. Dream job. And <laughs> Fucking dream job. <laughs> so it was, it, it was pretty it's pretty fucking That's, crazy. Oh, can you imagine that job? But, you two, like, so you're a forester, but. <laughs> so there was the most recent was actually uh, 2018 and January 5th of 2018 in Yellowstone. Uh, search and rescue actually had to go and rappel down or halfway down an 850 foot cliff Fuck. in the Grand Canyon in Yellowstone, Fuck. which uh, he had one of the. The person that fell was searching. He was a Indiana treasure hunter, and he was searching for Finn's treasure. Okay. So after all that was happened, he was actually found not guilt, or he filed a not guilty plea in Wyoming court to three misdemeanors for the charges of like uh, trespassing and all that for the Finn. Yeah, it was pretty interesting well if you've been listening you heard my story last week so <laughs> i don't judge that guy too much but that's shitty that's true yeah so that's pretty much my story you just and skipped over so much i know but we gotta go we gotta go do other but stuff but is it interesting because i want to really. know no not really. <laughs> okay you just wrote it to write it yeah 
well, I mean, it's just talking about Finn and a lot of the stuff that I already talked about, how, like, the treasure's not hidden in a location that's not dangerous territory, and that, uh, like, he constantly tells people because he gets overwhelmed with emails, and it's, he said that, like, he has had, he has received 120 emails in one single day, specifically just from treasure hunters, and he tells people that, if it's dangerous, don't do it. Like, yeah. if you can't handle it, don't fucking do it. Just stay, just stay the fuck away. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, that he said, like, he said it plenty of times that he had hid the treasure, and it's up to the searchers to go find it, and that he has nothing to do with it anymore. Well, think about it though. So it could literally like, be yeah. anywhere, yeah. anywhere yeah. buried anywhere. I don't know if anybody's ever going to find it. Maybe it is a hoax. Yeah. Well, I mean, he also said, like, come on, dude. I'm, I was 79, 80 years old when I did that. So if yeah. a 79, 80-year-old man cannot get there, don't go. Fair like, enough. There's, there's no way I fucking got there, so don't okay. do it. All right. It's just pretty interesting. And there is the most recent one was the fall that was in Yellowstone where the rescues had to repel, but there was a recent death actually that was involved or that was linked to the Finn treasure hunt too, and he perished. So that's four deaths, and I believe it's three Canadians and one American. At least they died doing some fun. Yeah, and the circumstances behind their deaths were like they just you know got like like I was saying uh, about your case and my case being related. Like they just got into a situation that they. They, sh- they shouldn't have been. They in. weren't prepared or yeah. experienced enough Exactly, for. yeah. They just shouldn't have been in that situation, period. Well, that was kind of a quick episode, but that was a cool one. All that was so interesting. I loved your case. Or story, I story. guess, this time. Yeah, it was a story, not really a case. That was way cool. Well, we're going to edit this episode up for you, and then I guess we're going to do some more sitting and staring at each other and yep, probably becoming intoxicated. Probably. Get stoned. But you have our Instagram, our email. We said all that stuff. You said all that shit. So hit us up. Tell me about if you're a fanatic, if you're going after the (laughs) fin treadic. And uh, we'll chit chat about it. And if you have uh, gone out and actually hunted for it, I will live by curiously through you. By curiously? Isn't that the right word? Oh, man, you just fucked up. Did I really? By curious? Oh, I guess. So you, I kind of am. So you want to know what it's like to have sex with a man? No. <laughs> Vicarious. Vicarious? Very different. Oh, okay. Oh, I Vicarious. hope you've said that to people. Uh, no, actually, that was the first time I ever tried to use that word. I'll live vicariously yeah. through you because I'm married. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, on that note, goodbye. Have fun. <laughs>